So we, last week we saw the, uh, an emphasis on a Sabbath year where the, the crops would, um, uh, you would not sow or reap as you normally did for a whole year, the crops. Um, this year, this week, what we're looking at is something called the, the Jubilee year, the year of Jubilee that would have fallen on the, uh, the 50th year. So after seven cycles of seven Sabbaths, the following year would be the year of Jubilee. And we're going to see it touches a little bit because, again, the, for the second year, you would have let your, your crops and your field lie fallow. Um, but also it has a lot more to say specifically about uh, debt and financial uh, instability among the people of God. So, if you would, let's uh, uh, look at God's Word uh, together. And I'll comment a little bit as we're going through just to help uh, give some, uh, some context to what, what it is they're talking about. The Word of God for us today. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of seven weeks of years shall give you forty-nine years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you uh, when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That fiftieth year you shall, uh, shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. For it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. Now it's going to begin to touch on some financial stuff about how you would go about selling or leasing your land to someone else. In this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the Jubilee, and he shall sell to you according to the number of years for crops. If the years are many, you shall increase the price, but if the years are few, you shall reduce the price, for it is the number of crops that he is selling you to you. You shall not wrong one another, uh, but you shall fear your God, for I am Yahweh your God. Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, if we may not sow or gather our crops, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall not eat the old, or you shall eat the old until the ninth year, when its crop arrives. Um, now then, it's going to touch on another uh, scenario of debt. For let's say somebody's uh, crops are failing, and they uh, they need to, to borrow uh, money in order to plant another year. They may sell off or lease off a portion of their land. This is talking about how it would happen, and then how you would be able to pay back that uh, that debt. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it, and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it, and then return to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee." And the Jubilee, it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. Now this is talking about what if you, you don't have farmland, but you live in a city with 
with uh, just a house not connected to property or, or land. If a man sells a dwelling house in a walled city, he may redeem it within a year of its sale. For a full year, he shall have the right of redemption. If it is not redeemed within a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong in perpetuity to the buyer throughout his generations. It shall not be released in the Jubilee. But the houses of the villages that have no wall around them shall be classified with the fields of land. They may be redeemed and they shall be released in the Jubilee. As for the cities of the Levites, the Levites may redeem at any time the houses in the cities they possess. And if one of the Levites exercises his right of redemption, then the house that was sold in a city they possess shall be released in the Jubilee. For the houses in the cities of the Levites and their possession are their possession among the people of Israel. But the fields of pasture lands belonging to their cities may not be sold, for that is their possession forever. Now then it's going to give us a scenario about what if someone has sold off not just a portion of their property, but their debt and their financial situation becomes so bad they have to sell off everything or, or lease off everything. Beginning in 35, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. Uh, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you to the land of Canaan and to be your God. If their debt is even greater than that and selling off their land doesn't cover it, the last resort is to sell themselves off. Now what do you do? Well, if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but shall fear your God. As for your male and female slaves whom you may, whom you may have, you may buy male and female slaves from among the nations that are around you. You may also buy from among the strangers who sojourn with you and their clans that are with you, uh, who have been born in, in your land, and they may be your property. And you may bequeath them to your sons after you to inherit as a possession forever. You may make slaves of them, but over your brothers, the people of Israel, you shall not rule over one another ruthlessly. Um, and then this is covering back again how you redeem uh, someone who had sold themselves into uh, um, their, themselves into servitude. If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan, uh, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him, or a close relative from his clan may redeem him, or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. He shall calculate with his buyer from the year when he sold himself to him until the year of Jubilee, and the price of his sale shall vary with the number of years. The time he, ha he was with his owner shall be rated as the time of a hired worker. If there are still many years left, he shall pay proportionately for his redemption, some of his sale price. If there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, he shall calculate and pay for his redemption in proportion to his years of service. He shall treat him as a hired worker year by year. He shall not rule ruthlessly over him in your sight. And if he is not redeemed by these means, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. 
They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, uh, for your word. We thank you that this is the word that you have for your people here this morning. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would apply your word to our hearts, uh, that we would hope more in Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so here, as we look at this year of Jubilee, that term Jubilee comes from uh, the, the word used to describe the, the, the horn or the trumpet that would have been blown to announce the year beginning. Um, and we, we saw that some of the discussion has to do with a, 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 another Sabbath year that would have been the, the land would allow lied fallow. So both the 49th and 50th year, they would have not sown or harvested. So they needed to trust in God for his provision there. Um, but uh, we touched on a lot of that uh, last week. But uh, one of the, the main emphasis within uh, the year of Jubilee and these laws and regulations that God has put forward has to do with dealing with financial un- instability uh, among God's people. Um, and so what we want to do is look at that well, we believe this is God's word. Uh, and so it's God speaking to his people. So we want to approach it that way and, and ask the question, what is God saying to his people here? And we want to look at two groups. One, we want to look at what is God saying to, uh, to those who are financially unstable among his people? And then we want to look at a, a second group. What is God saying to those who are among his people who are financially stable? And look at it from those two perspectives. So let's start with what God has to say from this passage to those who find themselves um, financially in a financially unstable situation. Um, some of you uh, may, may, may describe yourself like that right now. You could identify uh, in a significant way with the people that I talked about to open up the, the sermon. Um, debt and, 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 uh, and bills loom large over everything you do. And you may think, man, I know what God's going to say to me. What it seems like a lot of other people say, that I'm foolish. That he's going to ridicule and demean me uh, for the, the, the decisions that I've made. Even though sometimes I felt like there was nothing that I could do about it. Of course, that's what we maybe you've heard from other people. Um, there a, was a survey that was done several years ago uh, asking people throughout the world who, who would describe themselves as materially poor how they would define poverty. And the way that they defined it was not in relationship to the things or the money that they didn't have, but what they defined it as was a loss of dignity because of the way that people treated them and the way that people uh, uh, related to them. That they began to see themselves as having less value and worth than people who had more than them. And so they lived, they lived constantly in shame with this great loss of dignity. What um, does God think of that? Uh, in fact, uh, actually thinking, thinking through that, that idea of, of loss of dignity, I've seen that confirmed here in Elizabeth City. Several of us has helped with the room in the inn. And there are uh, several, uh, so in January and February, trying to help out with people who in Elizabeth City who find themselves homeless. And several of them had said, the way that people look at me around town, their attitude, the way they speak to me, it's as if I am not even human. I live in shame because I can't wash my clothes and the way I smell and the way that people treat me and they have no understanding of what I'm in. Does God respond the same way? Does he give a hearty amen to that, that, that response or does he say something different? 
Notice here what it is that God says. Uh, it may be hard for us to pick up on, on, on this, this language here, but look in verse 10, uh, the second half of verse 10. It shall be a jubilee to you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. Now, we just hear property and think about stuff that we own. But for Israel, that terminology would, uh, would have been related to property that comes to you through an inheritance, uh, a possession through inheritance. Um, and uh, so God is using and, and reminding his people of that. And it, it shows up several other places. The same word is used uh, in verse 24. And in all the country you possess, so again, reminding the people that the country that they're coming into, the promised land, is something that they will have as an inheritance possession. Um, Or later, using the terminology in verses 33 and 34 of speaking about the Levites, the same word that was a a related term that is used to talk about property is here described about the Levites as a possession. The fields of pasture lands belonging to their cities may not be sold, for that is their possession forever. Uh, So the Israelites were to think of the land that they had as related to an inheritance, but not an inheritance so much that they inherited from their father or their grandfathers or their grandfather's fathers, although that would have been true. But ultimately, remember, what we've seen is it wasn't their land. Notice what God says in verse 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. Therefore, if you are getting an inheritance of land, it's not so much coming from your fathers as it's coming directly from God. And how does one get an inheritance? Through relationship. And particularly in the biblical worldview, it comes to uh, beloved sons. So here, in the midst of the shame that people in Israel may have felt because of their financial instability, God speaks into their world and says, I want to remind you that you are mine, that I love you, and that the way that I'm viewing and relating to you is not less because of what you don't have. Your financial situation does not separate you from my love, from your citizenship and your status as my children. You need to know that. And God is speaking into the shame of His people. That's why He's so intent on these rules and these regulations regarding and making sure that the people's land is returned to them and that they never lose it. Um, You see, what the Jubilee would have been is a tangible expression that, that every 50 years or earlier, if you were able to redeem your land, it would come back to you. And the fact that God has established these laws, God is communicating to His people in a tangible way that as the land would have been a a, a picture to them and a reminder to them of their possession in God, their inheritance in God as His people. He is saying, I want you always to know and I'm working out my laws because my purpose and my, my desire is that you will always know that nothing will separate you, that you will forever have a place among my people as my children. This is something we need to hear today. Now, uh, we're, as we've seen throughout the Scriptures and as things unfolding, remember it was never Israel for the sake of Israel, and God wasn't focused just on that geographic land in uh, Canaan, but His sight was the world, the nations, and that the inheritance that He had for His people wasn't just Canaan, but the entire earth as He's seeking to renew and restore it. 
Those of us today, we uh, um, aren't viewing and understanding uh, the land that we have is so much connected to our place with God. But something that we see the Scriptures continue to confirm to us and that we've seen through Leviticus so far is that all of Scripture is pointing to Jesus, His sufficiency, His great work. And guess, in the New Testament, it, it reflects back on this idea of being sons of God. What? The scriptures tell us about Jesus' work on behalf of his people. In Romans chapter 8, it says this For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. It's no longer the land, but it's the spirit that is a a down payment, a confirmation of our inheritance that speaks to you, even in the midst of your your uh, your your shame of, of financial struggle, that God says, I love you and you are my children. He goes on further in chapter 8 to say this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Financial instability, debt, your, uh, your uh, class status will not gain you or lose you anything within your status uh, with, with God. You will always be his son. You will always be his daughter. And just as he was seeking to communicate to his people in Leviticus that I want you to have your land so that you know that you will permanently be mine, God speaks to us today and reminds us and speaks to you in your shame, in your fear, in your burdens, and said your financial situation will not separate you from my love. But he, he, he goes... And he speaks more. He speaks more to those who find themselves financially unstable. He's seeking to communicate to his people that his desire and intention for them is that they'll never live in perpetual slavery again. Notice how much this comes up. Look in verse 42. As he's speaking about uh, those who have uh, maybe sold themselves off as laborers in order to, to cover their debts. For they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, and they shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but shall fear your God. And then again in verse 55. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. God is saying, look. I'm setting up these rules. My intention is to keep you from ever being in perpetual slavery again. You were slaves in Egypt. I have redeemed that from you, you from that. And so even now, as as the the uh, my my people are established, I want you to know that I'm trying to set up things within the way that my people are, are, are formed and the way that they interact and relate to each other that will keep you from uh, financially finding yourself in slavery again and having to sell yourself off into, per, into perpetual 
never-ending slavery. I'm not going to allow that to happen. That's my, not my intention, and it's not my purposes for you. But what about what about us? Unless uh, I'm uh, mistaken, most of us are not due to our financial debts in uh, in uh, in danger of uh, literally being uh, put into enslavement. But when I was in college, uh, one of my friends, his dad was a financial planner and investor, and I was leading a Bible study, and I had him come to speak to us about um, uh, a biblical perspective of finances and how we're to w- relate to, to the money that God brings into our, 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 our life. And he started off by walking into the room. He was in the back, and he walks in, and he's got on a jail suit. He's wearing handcuffs, and he has shackles and a and ch- and ball and chain on his feet. And he's speaking to us about how debt can be enslaving. It can be an, a cruel oppressor, and it can feel as it's over you that you are in, in prison, and there is no way out. And he's saying there's going to be a lot of things in the world that, that offers you, uh, that, that seeks to offer you satisfaction and, and great joy in life that you feel like you must have but you can't afford. And, and, and credit is there offering you the opportunity to buy it and experience uh, this joy and, and maintain your status or demonstrate it in the world. And he's saying you need to avoid it because it will lead to slavery, financial slavery. Things really haven't changed much, have they? We too can find ourselves where our financial instability could lead us into a situation where we're despairing so much that we find ourselves in a place of financial enslavement. And God is wanting to communicate to His people that that is not His intention for them. That is not His best for His people that their financial instability would lead them to a place to where they would find themselves in financial enslavement. So God is trying to establish these laws, this year of Jubilee, so that His people would experience liberty. In fact, that's what he, He says in verse 10 and 11, that proclaim liberty, freedom to the land because of God's desire and communicating His intentions to His People, um, but we see the the, the 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 extent to where God goes to to make sure this is established and present among the lives of His people. Notice, we'll just touch on a, a few of them. He makes sure that that the the way that God's people are to relate to one another, He's trying to ensure that there are fair prices. Uh, when the the land is is sold in verses 13 to 17. He's making sure that when people find themselves in a a place of debt, that as they're trying to get out of it, that that interest is is not uh, a part of the equation in verse 35 to 38. Um, That they would not uh, give themselves up to any sort of uh, predatory uh, person who's trying to take advantage of them in their struggle. And he's actually seeking to outlaw that. Um, He establishes that in the context of his people, interpersonal relationships. So that when you come into a place of of financial struggle, the way that that the the problem is dealt with is through interacting with other people, informing and letting them know about your struggle, not keeping it secret. So that in community, you begin to work out and figure out a way to avoid enslavement in the midst of your financial struggles. And... Overall, in, in everything, we see 
from uh, in verse 28, notice this, that our, our ultimate hope for everyone is in, in God. In verse 28, there's, there's discussion about different ways that you could have redeemers or deliverers or people who would provide for you in the midst of your, of your uh, financial instability and dismay. But it says in verse 28, but if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. And the Jubilee, it shall be released and he shall return to his property. God is ultimately placing himself in the position of the Redeemer. He is your ultimate deliverer. And even if you cannot hope and trust in anyone else, your ultimate hope will be in him. And in fact, he provides uh, not perpetual, unending financial slavery, but he says there will always be an end to it. And every year, once a generation, if somebody gets an insurmountable debt, there's always an end in sight, a hope of deliverance and redemption. This, this imagery of this year of jubilee, of liberty, of freedom, of deliverance from God's, for God's people is picked up throughout the rest of Scripture. The prophets pick it up. And then Zechariah chapter 3, as God is, is talking about the, the struggles that His people are facing, and as He communicates and reminds them of the hope of the Deliverer and the Redeemer that would come, He speaks of it in terms of the year of Jubilee. And He says, I will, I will free up your land, and in fact, when my redemption works and happens, everyone among the people will be able to invite their neighbor under their own fig tree and under their own vine. Why? Because the, redeeming, the work of the Redeemer works in such a way that everybody in the people of Israel has a permanent, sustaining inheritance in their God. They are assured forever of His love and their dwelling with Him. In fact, as we go on, Jesus picks up this same language. Jesus describes himself and his role as the great deliverer, as the great redeemer, as the great uh, bringer of jubilee. If you look over in uh, Luke chapter 4, as Jesus is in the Sabbath one day, he's speaking from Isaiah and he draws upon this terminology from Isaiah chapter 61. In Luke 4 verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or the year of Jubilee. And he goes down and he says, today the scripture is being fulfilled in your midst. Jubilee is about finances. It's about material struggle. It's not less than that, but it's also so much more. It is speaking of the hope that we have of our God and the work of redemption that Jesus is bringing, that He is the ultimate deliverer who will proclaim this good news and pronouncing it to the poor and the oppressed, those who are suffering financially, who are hoping in Him, but also those who are suffering under the enslavement and burdens of sin, that He comes and He announces, I am the Redeemer, and when my work is done, you will experience complete deliverance and redemption. Through this passage, we see God's heart for His people, especially God's heart for the poor and those who are finding themselves struggling and who are financially unstable. But we've seen, and we see in this passage that in order for this to take place, God is also communicating something to those who find themselves in a position of financial stability. 
Notice, we've seen what God has said to those who are financially unstable among His people, but what about those who are financially stable? Notice He starts in the exact same place He started with those who are financially unstable. You are mine. Notice in verse 38, I am Yahweh your God, and this is the passage where He's speaking to those who are financially stable and who are called to help out those who are struggling. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. Your chief identity, God is saying, is not in your financial skills. It's not in your planning. It's not in your saving. It's not in your, uh, your ability to work. But it, ultimately, you need to root your identity in the fact that you are mine, that I have redeemed you and I have saved you, that I am your God and you are my people. It must start there. It is our core identity. But then he goes on. Those who are financially stable, you too, and maybe even more so, need to recognize your poverty. Notice in verse 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. This is talking about everybody. Strangers and sojourners would have been those who did not own, could not have land. They were in great dependence upon someone to provide for them. They were in great poverty. God is saying, this is true of the whole of the people of Israel, that you must recognize your poverty and you exist in dependency upon me. Regardless of whether you are financially secure right now, it's because of my provision for you, my grace to you. You are in desperate need of my work. You have what you have because I've given it to you. Therefore, this could begin to humble us. Um, and to, uh, to, to think about us in seeking to avoid who find themselves financially stable of also avoiding slavery financially. Because we can begin to, to depend and rest in ourselves and hope in ourselves and our, 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 our retirement statement or what our bank account says or our ability to invest. And we begin to give our heart and our trust to another. And depending and resting upon ourselves or our finances instead of our God. And we now we've enslaved ourselves in a different way. But God also points out spiritual poverty. Not only are we all in some ways materially poor and dependent on God, but we're spiritually poor. Notice in verse 9, when does the year of Jubilee begin? It says in verse 9 that it's to be announced on the Day of Atonement. The day when God says, uh, not only am I uh, clearing you of all of your, your sin and your indebtedness to me in that way, but I'm also announcing financial liberty as well. But for everyone, all of us need to know and remember our, at our core, we're, we're poor too. All of us in various ways, especially spiritually before our God. Notice our, our, our verse this morning as we entered into our, our offering from 2 Corinthians uh, that, that told us that Jesus was rich. But he became poor for us. That it's out of his poverty and in him we become rich. All of us, that's our standing before God. And we must remember as we approach and relate to other people that we stand in a position of poverty as well. And that should humble us as we relate to them and other people. This should guard us against arrogance of looking down on other people who are struggling financially and think that we're better than them because we're not struggling. God says, oh no, don't forget, you're poor too. 
Your dependency is upon me and you rest on me. Therefore, you, you have a lot in common with anybody who's in poverty in any way. Um, you need to trust and hope and it seeks to humble us before our God. But also notice as he's wrapping this up that you are blessed to be a blessing, he says, to those who are financially stable among his people. Notice in verse 23 again, um, uh, talking about and seeing all of God's people as being these sojourners and strangers. But what God has said to them is, I've provided for you. I've provided for you. So if you're financially stable now, the only reason is because I've given this to you. And the reason I'm giving it to you is that you would be a blessing, that you would provide for your brothers in their vulnerability and in their struggle. Look in verse 35 and 40. In verse 35, God says this. uh, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner. God is saying, out of the blessing that I've given you, because you know what it's like to be a stranger and sojourner, you now are to care for and bless and serve those who are around you. Uh, Even in seeing that language, we're now in the place of God. God is saying, if you have been in my care as a sojourner and a stranger, and you've experienced my blessing, now you reflect me in the way that you care for those as sojourners and strangers among you using what I've blessed you with to serve and care for others. In other words, we're to be little R redeemers in the hands of the big R redeemer. You notice that that language comes up in verse 24. In all the country, in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. And over and over it talks about uh, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. God is saying the way that I work out my redemptive work and my my saving and my healing in the lives of other people is through you. I've blessed you and given you provision. You've experienced my redemptive work both financially, spiritually, and in other ways, so that you can enter into the lives of other people and be those little R redeemers to them because you have experienced from me. God is saying here that He has a heart for the materially poor. And He has set up um, uh, things within the lives of His people to establish and prevent their financial instability from moving into financial slavery. And God is saying, if that is his heart, then that should also be the heart of all of his people to be uh, desiring to enter into the lives of those who are around them in the context of the people of God, to do what we can through the blessing that God has given us to make sure that they do not result and end up in financial slavery too. This should be our heart. God's not talking about Uh, redistribution of wealth. He's not talking about socialism. But a heart of deep generosity and love and care. Because we've seen uh, in the other places that the debt has worked off. It could take a long time. But it's done in a way that protects and guards God's people from experiencing financial slavery. Because if we've not seen the redemption that we've gotten from Jesus... It's for freedom that Jesus set us free, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we have been set free in Christ. 
So let's just briefly apply this as we, we wrap up. The first thing that all of us need to begin to do is that God, in light of this passage, that we would begin to pray. Pray that God would change our hearts. Both our hearts, if, if we feel uh, drawn to, finding, to, to, to being found in financial uh, slavery and instability, but for those who are financially stable, that God would begin to change our hearts to give us more of His heart for those who are financially struggling. Also, we need to pray for our church that we would establish a culture within Harbor Presbyterian Church that it is okay to talk about your financial struggles, that you will not experience shame or ridicule from the people in our midst, but it's a safe place to open and to be able to talk and dialogue about the struggles you are, you are facing and know that you will not receive judgment from the people of God around you because we have not seen God judge those who are financially poor here at all. He speaks grace and mercy. That means we would need to be, begin to establish a way to disciple so that our perspective on finances as a congregation is changed so that we're dealing with our money in a way that we can care for other people and that those who maybe have, have gotten into some patterns would be able to find in the context of a relationships discipleship in a way to work themselves out of that financial situation. Maybe we begin to do something like a course like financial peace uh, to begin to to. to to help all of us understand in those ways. Um, And then lastly, and this may be the most difficult, is that we establish within our congregation a process that reflects Leviticus 25. What would it look like um, within Harbor Presbyterian Church, when somebody struggle is struggling and tempted to, to in, in a, a place where they're they are about to fall into financial slavery, that they're able to open up among the people of our church, and then we have things in place that prevents them from having to go to credit cards to bail themselves out and get financially enslaved. That prevents them from going to a place of predatory lenders. But that in the context of community, those of us who are financially stable are able to help in a way that prevents and guards those from falling into financial slavery and be able to work themselves out of that in a loving, uh, supportive environment. In fact, that's what we see happening in Acts. And you know what God says? When the people of God were not just caring for one another spiritually, but also physically, their numbers grew. And they grew in favor, not just with the love within their community, within their church, but the watching world began to notice. When we were, and lastly, we need to begin to pray uh, for deacons in our church who will lead us in this type of liberality of giving and generosity of our hearts as we respond to our, uh, our God. When the Presbytery wanted to plant this church, one of the things that they... Uh, put forth to us was to make sure that we are known as a church in Elizabeth City that loves the lost and loves the poor. Because we have experienced both the saving spiritual work that Jesus has done for us. We have known poverty and now we know riches in Him. How will we, can we begin to move forward as a church? Let's begin to pray about that and dialogue that because this is a part of the, the expansive nature of the Gospel. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the mercy that we've been extended in Jesus. We pray that you would give us wisdom to live out this life, uh, to, to, uh, to experience the grace and mercy of Jesus, and to then show it to other people, both spiritually and materially, for your glory. 
Uh, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As Jesus was on His way 